you want to grab your Bible this morning, uh, we're going to be in Matthew or Malachi. Sorry, Malachi chapter three this morning. As you're turning there, I just want to welcome you again. My name is Ben. I'm the pastor here at Strong Tower, and uh, we are glad that you could join us this morning. If you need a Bible, there should be one around your seat somewhere, or if you want to grab your phone and use your device, that would be great. Malachi chapter three. If you don't know where that is, you can go to Matthew and go left. It'll be the last book of the Old Testament. The last book in the second to last chapter. Malachi chapter 3 is where we will look this morning. We're going to look at verses 6 through 12. I just want to remind you again, the connect groups that we have at our church, they begin next Sunday. So if you haven't had a chance to sign up for a group yet, this is a great opportunity because there's new groups starting and Maybe your schedule's changed and you need to find a, a group that works for your new schedule. That's fine. Just go on the website. You can see all the groups listed, where they meet, what time. Uh, we would love to have you join a group. I tell people all the time in Strong Tower, if you're going to be a part of our church family, it's essential that you're in a connect group. It's essential. So we would encourage you strongly to join uh, one of the nine groups that we have. We would love to have you be a part of it. Malachi chapter 3, if you're there, say Amen. Hear the reading of God's word. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text this morning, all in to give, all in to give. Let's pray one more time before we jump in. Father, we are grateful for your word. We know that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And God, we ask as we look at your gospel from book of Malachi, as we think about the good news of your generosity to us, God, we pray that you would bring the power of your Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to love you with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. In 2006, there was a British artist who uh, had an exhibition here in the U.S. It was in Los Angeles, and, and his name was Banksy. I don't know anything about this artist, but I, I heard about this crazy exhibition that he put on, and, and it made the news because it was so out of the world. And, and this is what he did. He brought you know, the typical things. He brought traditional artwork, and he brought some large-scale pieces, but he also brought a live elephant. And this is where it gets a little ironic. He actually named the exhibition Barely Legal because what he did in the exhibition later was deemed illegal by U.S. officials. 
This is how he did it. He, he set it up, and he had this room, and, and it looked like a living room, right? You got the couch, you got the coffee table, you got the end tables, you, know, you got the lamp set up, they got a chandelier in the room. It, it looks like this upscale kind of urban apartment. It looks beautiful, and there's two people sitting on the couch. One's sipping coffee, the other one's reading a magazine, and in the room where it looks just so normal, there's an elephant, like a live elephant. But here's what made it illegal. This is the illegal part. The artist decided to paint the elephant red, like from head to toe. The entire elephant was painted red, which apparently is illegal. You're not allowed to paint animals and put it on display. And, and so he paints this elephant red, and it has these gold shapes and, and uh, pattern on it. And you look at, the, at the, the exhibit, and you see that the elephant was painted actually the pattern of the wallpaper in the room. If you could imagine it for a second, here are these two people reading a magazine, drinking coffee, you know, maybe watching TV, living like everything is normal. And in the room, there's this odd reality. There's an elephant. No matter how much you try to hide it with the wallpaper, no matter how blended into the background it may seem, the elephant is right there, literally an elephant. And this morning, there's an elephant in the room. And as I've read that scripture, some of you kind of tensed up a little bit as you read from Malachi chapter 3 and you hear that scary word, tithing. Right? If you want to talk about something that will bring a good old-fashioned church fight in the church, preach on tithing. It's just kind of how it works. It, it's one of these things that really makes people uncomfortable. That maybe right now you're feeling a little uncomfortable, and, and, and there's this passion uh, spectrum. There's people on one side of the spectrum that are very passionate about tithing. Like in a, in a positive way. They, they love tithing. They've been tithing for decades and they believe in it and they've seen God work through their generosity. And, and when people talk about tithing, they're excited. They're cheering. And when people talk bad about tithing, they're like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. They're very passionate about it. And then there's people that are on the other side of the spectrum, right, who are very passionate against it. And there's a lot of hurt and there's pain and there's abuse and You've been in situations where the church was always asking for money and it was never enough. And, and you've been in situations where you've seen what happened with the money and it wasn't good. And, and so you hear tithing and you're like, I don't know about that. And you've even maybe come to the place where you believe it's unbiblical. I would say that I think for most Christians, wherever you find yourself on that spectrum and in between, I think most of us haven't given it an honest look. Even if you've been practicing it maybe your whole life. I think most of us haven't looked at the biblical evidence for tithing. And, and here's, here's the reality is uh, the debate around tithing really centers on this issue of law and grace. The, the, the argument is real simple. Here, here's how it goes. The Old Testament speaks about tithing. Nope, nobody denies that. It's, it's all over the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. Therefore, in the New Testament... Tithing is not required, right? Very, very simple argument. That's, that's kind of how it goes, for, and people call this grace giving, right? Now, I, we don't have the time to get into the whole relationship between Old Testament and New Testament and law and grace and what does it really mean to be under the law. That, that's a whole other topic. I, I would argue that you're misinterpreting some things there as, as how the Old Testament and New Testament relate. But that aside, here's the question I would have for you in that argument, and this will get us started. 
No matter what, what you find yourself, what position you find yourself in, ask yourself this. Would, would grace giving be any less than tithing? Or to ask it another way, if, if people who've experienced the radical generosity of God in Christ would give less than those who came before Christ, what do you think that says about us? There's this weight that we, we got to wrestle with in the New Testament. Because I believe God doesn't take it down a notch. He encourages more generosity. Right? This is how it works. And, and so that's why uh, I say that tithing is, is like a seatbelt, right? It, whether we believe it's law or not, it's good for us. It, it's like a seatbelt. And, and why? Tithing was designed, listen to this, tithing was designed to help our hearts to trust. The, the statistics are well known that American Christians give only about 2% of our income. And that, that number actually includes to the church and, and also nonprofits outside of the church, which is down from the Great Depression where we gave 3.5%. It's well known in the uh, study, that same study, that about 10 to 20% of believers in every church tithe in the typical church. 10 to 20%. Now, you can hear those uh, statistics, and, and they can make you feel full of guilt and shame, and that's not my point. My point is just to point out this, that we have a problem with, with giving that reflects something in our hearts. In other words, what, what God is really after, this is what I want you to catch as we walk through this passage, what God is really after is not your money at all. He wants your heart. And, and tithing is a tool to lead us in that direction. Giving, in general, is, is a way to, to lead us in our heart. And, and so we're continuing our series this morning on uh, All In. We, we've been talking this, this series at the beginning of the year about our theme for the year. We've been talking about how this year as a church we want to talk about deepening our discipleship. We want to talk about how uh, in our congregation we have people who maybe you've been stuck spiritually for a long time. And, and our prayer this year as the leaders of your church is that God would work in your heart. That you would be able to look back on 2020 and say, man, God really moved in my life and, and helped me grow and helped me take that next step where I can go deeper with him and my relationship. And, and so we talked the first week about prayer and how if you're going to be all in with God, it always starts with prayer. And the second week we talked about serving and that God calls us to give away ourselves, to, to serve those who are in need in our community and in our church. And this week I want to talk about giving. Because here's the reality in the New Testament. Jesus talks about money more than any other topic. Maybe you've heard that before. Some people use that statistic to say uh, that you know, money's the most important thing. But that's not at all. Je Jesus talks about money a lot because he knows how much it matters to us. He knows how much money shapes our heart, shapes our faith, shapes our life. And, and so he knows if he's going to speak into the day-to-day -day reality of who we are and how we live, money matters. And so I want to ask this question this morning, just a, a simple question. How does tithing help us trust God with our money? How does tithing help us trust God with our money? So if you're taking notes this morning, uh, this is the first point, God's Ownership. We got to stop. We got, we got to start with who owns our money. God's ownership. So uh, God begins by establishing Himself in this text in verse six. Look at what He says. He says to Israel, He says, "For I, the Lord, do not change." 
Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now listen, so this, is, this is a big word. This is what theologians call God's immutability. Somebody say immutability. Immutability. It's, it's the theological term that means God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God does not change. He doesn't come, you know, in one way and then change his mind and do another thing. He doesn't love people in one way and then he's unjust with another group of people. He, he doesn't go on a whim and decide he's going to do something and then go another direction. He, he is unchanging. He's faithful. He's unwavering. He is an immutable God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what, what God says to Israel he says, I am not just the God who does not change. I am your covenant God. Right? He, he uses his covenant name. He addresses them with the, the personal covenant name Yahweh. So as you read the Old Testament, you'll notice this, this word in all caps, Lord. The, the, the translators translate it and put it in all caps so you know that that's God's covenant name, Yahweh. And maybe you remember the story of, of Moses when God revealed this name to the people of Israel. The story of Moses where Moses and Israel, they were in bondage and they, they had been there for 400 years. 400 years of abuse. 400 years of not hearing anything from God. 400 years wondering if God was going to show up. If Maybe they had just made it up. Maybe it was just a fairy tale from their ancestors. They, they hadn't seen him. They hadn't heard from him. And then God shows up in their bondage and oppression, and he shows up in this flaming bush with Moses. And he tells Moses, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, tell them my name is I am, Yahweh. Tell them that this God, this Yahweh, is going to deliver them out of their bondage. That I'm going to bring them out and I'm going to give them a land and I'm going to make them into a great nation. Tell them that I'm going to redeem them. And sure enough, God does it. God fights the, the greatest battle, the greatest nation that, that the world had seen at the time. He overtakes the greatest army and delivers Israel out of their bondage into the promised land. But here's the thing. He now redeemed them, which means he bought them, he purchased them, he owned them. They were his people. He said, you will be my people and I will be your God. You catch it? He's saying that because I've saved you, because I paid for you, because I, I came and rescued you, I now own you. You're mine and I'm yours. We are in covenant together, right? And here's Malachi preaching Writing to the children of Israel centuries later, right? Malachi is the final prophet in the Old Testament. And he's writing in a time where Israel had turned their back on that God. He's writing at a time where this is how he describes it in verse 7. He says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. In other words, you have squandered the grace that I've given you. I redeemed you. I saved you. I, I came to make you my own. And now you've run the other direction. And he's reminded them, the only reason you're not consumed in judgment is because I don't change. My promise still stands. I'm still the God who saved you. And you're still the people that are mine. See, what he's saying is, I'm, I'm still the owner. The first step, listen to me, the first step in stewardship is you have to know who the owner is. God is the owner 
We are his managers. A few weeks ago, I, I took our oldest daughter on a, on a breakfast date, right? And, and this was right around Christmas time. And, and I told her, let's go out to eat. You, you can get whatever or take wherever you want. Wherever you want to go, you pick the spot. And, and so Zoe picks IHOP. Of all places, she just loves their pancakes. And so we go to IHOP, and, and we sit down at the table, and, and she, you know, she's looking at the little kids' meal. And it's got pictures and stuff. And, and she picks the churro pancakes. I mean, I think she picked the one with the most sugar possible. It's, it's got whipped cream, and on top of the whipped cream, there's two churros. And then on top of that, there's like chocolate and syrup. And it's just, it looked amazing. I had to try it. I, it was so, you know, delicious looking. But, but she gets that, and, and then after we order, uh, they bring the, the drinks. And, and right after the drinks come, this is what my daughter does. She pulls out of her jacket a little notepad with some scribbles on it. And I, I just, I was like, Zoe, what, what is that? And, and I could tell she had written some stuff down. And she says, Daddy, uh, I, I brought some notes for our meeting. <laughs> and I just, I kind of laughed. I was like... All right, all right, what, what are we meeting about? I didn't know this was official business. And on her, on her notes, she had all these things she had written down, and I said, okay, what, what's the meeting about? She said, Daddy, I wanted to meet with you to talk about what we're going to get Mommy for Mother's Day. We're, we're right before Christmas. And, and this girl in the middle of December is thinking about May. And so I kind of play along, and I just ask her, you know, what, what, what are we going to get her? What are some of your ideas? And I ask her, what, what's our budget? What, what are we going to spend for this? And this is what she says. So cute. She said, Daddy, you know you own all the money. You own all the money. She, she knew who the owner was. She may have been mistaken. But... She knew who the owner was. She knew she could come to her father who owned everything in her world. And listen to me. This is what happens. The moment you treat your possessions like you own them, you've forgotten who God is to you. That's what happens. You, you forget who God is to you, what he's done in your life, how he's saved you. Because see, some of you in this room, he has delivered you just like he delivered Israel. Some of you in this room, you know your past. You know you were at the worst. You know your life was on its last leg. You know that God had to bring you out of darkness. You know that God had to deliver you into light, out of hell on earth. You know that he brought you out of sin and bondage. You know that he brought you out of your selfishness and your foolishness. You know that if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't be here this morning. You know that if it wasn't for him, you would be lost, maybe dead. And yet he came and brought you out. He came and delivered you. He bought you with a price, with the price of his own son, with the blood of his own son. He came for you. He delivered you from the kingdom of darkness, brought you into the kingdom of light, put your feet on solid rock, gave you righteousness, gave you sonship, gave you status. And he owns you. And if he owns you, he owns everything that you have. This is how the Bible describes it. I mean, there's nothing you can claim as your own. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Deuteronomy 8 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. 1 Corinthians 6, You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. 
In other words, he owns your spouse, he owns your career, he owns your car, he owns your house, he owns your children, he owns your marriage, he, he owns everything in your life. That job you have, it's on loan. That house you have, it's on loan. That career you have, it's on loan. He's the owner. And if he's the owner, he cares about what you do with his stuff. And this, is, this brings us to the second point, robbing God, robbing God. See, God turns the conversation directly to how we've managed his money in verse 8. Look, look at what it says. It says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Now, listen, the, the terminology robbing seems a little bit harsh maybe to your ears. It sounds like, oh, God, are you serious? You're robbing? I mean, what are you talking about? But listen, if God is really the owner, if it's really his stuff, then that makes sense, right? If you gave your money to an investment company and they decided instead of investing your money in things that benefit your interests, they took your money and they bought a beach house. They're robbing your money. If that's happening to you, you might want to do something about it. But th th this is very similar language. He he's saying, this, this is my stuff. And, and he anticipates their outrage, right? He says, what, what do you mean? How are we robbing you? And he says very clearly, in your tithes and contributions. In other words, you, you didn't bring in the full tithe. And, and in verse 9, he makes it clear. It wasn't just a handful of people. It's the whole nation of you were not tithing. Now, we've gone this long without even talking about what is tithing. Well, I want to answer that question. What exactly is this thing he's talking about? A tithe is, is just a simple word that means a tenth. That's all it means. It, it's a tenth part of something. It's a fraction. And so to tithe is to give a fraction, a, a part of your income to God. And the practice started with, with Abraham as early as we can tell. And and Abraham gives this tithe, and then the tithing practice becomes uh, part of the law under Moses in Leviticus 27. You see, uh, you see this law in Leviticus 27.30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. The tithe was to be given off the top in Proverbs chapter 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, right? In other words, this was kind of the base giving plan in the Old Testament for how the people of God were to give. And you see all throughout the Old Testament, you see tithing as the foundation, and you see other offerings that are above and beyond the tithe. And Jesus, even in the New Testament, uh, confirms and affirms the practice of tithing in Luke chapter 11. He sees the, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and this is what Jesus says to them. He says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe. Now, if you stopped right there, you'd be doing all right, right? But he goes on to say, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, which means they tithe on all the smallest things they could possibly have in their household, but you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You catch that? Jesus, who's teaching on this giving principle, he's, he's saying you were faithful in your tithing, but you failed in love. He said, you've missed the whole point. That this, this giving, this tithing, this generosity was not meant to be a way for you to hide behind legalism and to be able to say, I tithe, and therefore I don't have to do anything else. But notice how he corrects them. 
He doesn't say get rid of tithing and only love people or love God. He says you should have done that and this. Jesus affirms, right? He didn't abolish tithing. He put it in perspective. He put it in perspective. He's saying it should be an expression of your love. It should be an expression of your generosity. Because God didn't need Israel's money. Right? God wasn't behind on his light bill. God wasn't looking to pay off his student loans. He wasn't checking out the new Jordans online. God didn't need any money. He didn't need any resources. He already owned everything. What he was after was their heart. He didn't need their money to pay his bills. I mean, no, notice, this is what he says. He, 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 he asked this fascinating question. How shall we return? And his answer, listen, his answer is start tithing. Don't miss, don't miss how radical that is. He's saying, you guys are going to ask, how are we going to return to you, God? And his answer is tithe. Why, why would God make that his answer? Because God knows the link between money and our heart. He knows that money leads the heart, not the other way around. Jesus said it very similar in the New Testament. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice Jesus didn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. It's your money that leads your heart. And so if you're waiting for your heart to feel something, to feel comfortable, to feel secure, to feel like I can do this, then you're going to be waiting a really long time. What Jesus is saying is you lead with your money and let your heart follow. Because money is a tool to lead your heart. And what was happening with Israel, listen to me, what was happening with Israel was they, they didn't trust God enough to let their heart be led. And so they withheld. See, we rob God when we don't trust God. We rob God when we don't trust God. A couple years ago, uh, we bought our first bike for our girls. And uh, I, I remember... We, we bought this Christmas present, and, and maybe you've done this as a parent, or, or maybe your parents did this, that you buy a present and you don't have anywhere to put it, so you can't hide it under the tree. I didn't have anything to wrap it with. We bought this, this bike, and we bring it home, and I realized as we're coming into the house, I guess we're just going to give it to her, because we had no idea what, where we're going to put this thing, and, and so uh, we, we give her the bike well before Christmas. We thought we were going to hold out, and and we give her the bike, and it's this cool little, you know, princess bike. It's pink and white and got sparkles and these little things coming out the sides. And, you know, it's all well done. And it was, it was real cheap, but she loves it. And we go outside. The first thing she wants to do is try it. But as soon as she gets on the bike, she starts panicking. I mean, she looked worried. Her face was, you know concerned or her hands were nearly shaking she was terrified and I'm, I'm confused because I thought she was excited until she got on the bike and I'm like Zoe are, are you going to be all right just pedal it's going to be okay and she said daddy I'm, I'm terrified I'm going to fall off what's going to keep me from falling off if I go and I looked down and I said honey you see those little training wheels right there they're, they're going to make sure you don't fall you can pedal you can trust the training wheels and ride the bike. And what I'm trying to tell you this morning is tithing is, is God's training wheels to trust. It's, it's the training wheels that, that get you going. It, 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 some of you, listen, you got to hear that because you think that tithing is, is legalism. 
And I was right there with you, right? A couple years ago, I, I was struggling with how do you make sense of tithing in the New Testament? And, and in my own experience, I had seen people who tithe, and they were grouchy. <laughs> they were. They, they'd, give, they'd give checks of $146.87, and it's like, darn it, I gave God my tithe. And, and they're grouchy about it. And, and it was like, God's not going to get any more than that 10%. I'm not going to round up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give him every penny, but nothing more. And so it seemed to me like you were just producing legalism. And, I, you know, I, I had seen it abused, and I had seen problems of, you know, theology and how to make sense of that. And, but, but here's the thing. What I started to realize is, as I began to practice tithing, is what it does to your heart. If, if you allow God to use your money to train your heart, there's training wheels. It, it gets you going. And, and tithing isn't the destination, right? The destination is not to have the training wheels on for the rest of your life. But it's something that gets you on the way. And so it's not meant to be a formulaic obedience. It's meant to help our hearts to trust. And many of us need the training wheels. Maybe you're, maybe you're not there. Maybe you're like, oh, yeah, I've, I've had the training wheels. I'm past that. But here's what I would ask you. Am I really trusting God with my money? Am I growing in my trust? See, we, we rob God when really we put our trust other places. We bow down to the God of materialism, the God of comfort, the God of ease, the God of security there's so many places that we, we can give ourselves to, right? And, and I hear people, and I said this, right? I just can't afford to tithe. And, and there might be opportunities or, or places in your life where, where that is true. That there's a crisis that you've been through. There's difficulty. There's things that it just doesn't make sense, but, but you can work towards that. But I'm, I'm talking about in, in the normal section seasons of life. If, if your paycheck got cut 10%, would you cease to exist? Probably not. You would find a way. You would find a way to make sure you put food on the table. You'd find a way to make sure your kids got to school. You'd find, you'd find a way to make sure that, that everything you needed was provided because that's how life works. And so what God is saying to the people of Israel and what he's saying to us is he's asking for our trust. He's saying, this is not an issue of ability. It's an issue of trust. Do you trust me to do what I want to do with what's mine? Do you trust me? See, giving always requires us to live by faith, not by sight. Or it wouldn't be trust. So I want to challenge our church today. As we're talking through all in. To test God. He says it right there in verse 10. He says, put me to the test. It's the only time in the whole Bible that God invites us to test him. He's saying, he's saying, test me that I won't act upon my promise right here. And we'll get into that in just a minute. But, but I, I want to ask you, when was the last time your, your giving was, was pushing you to the point where it was not only testing you, but it was testing God? Like it, it was not making sense that I'm going to do what I'm trying to do. 
I know some of you, you were here at the vision uh, lunch we had a couple weeks ago. We talked about all in this year and deeper discipleship. And we, we talked a little bit about giving. And, and I shared what my wife and I are praying through this year as, as we're thinking about our giving. I, I am praying that God would make a way for us to give double what we gave last year. But I'm telling you right now, I don't know how that's going to happen. I didn't get a raise this year. I don't, Nikki didn't get a raise that I know of. You know, I don't know where that money's coming from, but we're praying for that. And I'm going to figure out how, how can we be more generous? How can we test ourselves to, to test God and say, God, we believe that you are a generous God, that you care about us. And that you care about your kingdom. And so we want to be generous beyond what makes sense even. What, what does that mean for you? I mean, I know this sermon is, is about tithing, but some of you, you you're at the beginning, you haven't even given at all, and that's okay. Maybe for you, what it means is I'm just going to give it for the first time. I'm, I'm going to jump in. Maybe for you, it means I'm going to be consistent in my giving. I'm going to trust God to not just give when, when I have a little bit of extra money at the end of the month. Or maybe for you, it is tithing. You, you've been waiting to take that step, and, and you want to step out on faith and trust God to provide for you and to watch him work in your life. I, I don't know what it is, but I'd ask you to challenge yourself. As God says, test me. Put me to the test. And when we put him to the test, when we, when we challenge ourselves to be more and more generous, this is what we see. We see a generous promise. We see a generous God. Look, this is the last point, a generous God. Look at verse 10. God says this. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, right? He, he challenges Israel and he, he says, put me to the test. It's, it's me. I'm, I'm putting my own name out there. I'm putting my own reputation out there. Put me to the test. Bring in the full tithe. It's mine anyways. And he says, trust me with your heart. And then he makes a radical promise. He says, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't contain. Now, notice this. He says, I'm going to pour out a blessing until there's no more need. He doesn't say, I'm going to pour out a blessing that meets all your greeds. Right? This, this is not, this, this is one of the famous, you know, prosperity gospel passages. You see this one on TV a lot. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, I'm going to meet all your greeds and all your, you, know, you want a bigger house, you want an airplane, you want a better car, you want a better job. You're looking for the blessing. No, no, no. But he is saying, I'm going to meet every need you have. That if you trust me, there's never been a day when my children were not taken care of. There's never been a time where I didn't show up and meet every need you have. Maybe it wasn't when you thought it should be. Maybe it wasn't in the way you thought it should be. He said, but if you trust me, I will make sure you have a blessing that meets every single need. It's what Jesus says later on in the New Testament. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? What Jesus is saying is if God can take care of animals that have no sense, sure, he can take care of you. He's got you. His plans are bigger than you. His plans are more than you. His care is greater than you. 
And we get a glimpse of his ultimate promise. And I'll close here. We get a glimpse of his ultimate promise in verse 12. He says, then, then when I open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing to take care of all your needs, he says, then all the nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight. Right? Their blessing wasn't meant to be only for them. God is saying that I'm going to bless you that the nations would see it. And the nations would know that you are my delighted people. You are my privileged people. That my blessing is upon you because of my grace. And you will, listen to this, you will be a witness to those nations. In other words, from the very beginning, the promise of God to Abraham was you would be blessed. That you would be a blessing to the nations. The blessing of God that comes in his grace is not just for you, it's through you. It goes beyond you. And what Malachi is saying, remember Malachi is the final prophet in the Old Testament. He prophesies of Jesus' coming. He prophesies of John the Baptist who's going to come before him. Malachi is pointing forward to the day where there would be another opening of the heavens. And he would pour out a greater blessing than just your material needs. He would pour out himself. See, the gospel is a message where God pours out himself from heaven. In other words, Jesus comes from heaven because we can't get to him. We can't go up to him. We're just like Israel who who stole from him, who robbed from him, who turned our backs on him and ran the other way. And Jesus says, even if you're running, I'm going to chase you down. I'm going to come from heaven. I'm going to come to you. And I'm not going to steal from you. I'm not going to rob from you. I'm not going to use you. I'm going to give myself to you. Jesus said this. He said, greater love has no one than he who lays down his life for his friends. Jesus is saying in that, he's he's saying, I'm not coming to just give 10% of myself. I'm not coming to give 20% of myself. I'm not coming to give 40% of myself. I'm not even coming to give 90% of myself. I came to give everything I have, all that I have. I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to pour out everything I have for you. Because the heavens have been opened and grace has been showered down. Showered down. And when you come to the cross, this is what you see. I mean, come, come to Calvary for a minute. What, what, what do you see? You see crowds gathered around Jesus who are mocking him. You see soldiers who are beating him. You see Jesus carrying his cross and he's, he's bleeding. He's got a crown of thorns. He's naked and ashamed. And there's, there's so much going on. But who's next to him on the cross? Robbers. Thieves. People who had robbed his father. And this, this is what he says. One, one, one of the thieves get it. He, he says this. We're receiving our just reward for our actions. But this man is innocent. He's done nothing wrong. Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's the sound of trust. That's the sound of faith. He's he's saying to Jesus in the darkest moment of his life, he's saying, I trust you. I trust you. See, Jesus was crucified between two robbers for us because he was standing in our place. It was the righteous for the unrighteous. It was the thief for, for the holy. It was, it was the, the, the guilty or the, the innocent for the guilty. We deserve the death that he died. We deserve the crucifixion that he endured. We deserved all of it. But Jesus said, I'll come for you. 
See, the gospel isn't good news for good tithers. The gospel is good news for robbers, thieves, criminals, who've stolen the glory of God, who've lived for ourselves. It's good news of a God who gives himself abundantly because he doesn't change. He's faithful to his promise. It's good news that a God who would die for you calls you to return. See, maybe you're here this morning, that, and, and the call of God this morning is simply this, return to me. For Israel, that, that meant their money. It, it meant God, God was going to use this tool of money to help their hearts come back to him. But, but what he's after, remember, is it's not their money. He doesn't need any money. He owns it all. He wants their hearts. And so this morning, as, as we talk about this, the, the Hebrew word there for return is the same word for repent. It's the same word that, that means simply you're going one direction and now you're going to head the other direction. You're, you're headed down a path that you're running away from God and, and to repent simply means you're going to turn around and you're going to go the other direction to head back to God. You're going to go to the one who came for you and you're going to give away all that you have. Not just your money, your life. Jesus says, come to me, follow me. And I will give you everything. I'll give you myself. That's the promise of the gospel this morning. And so maybe you're here this morning and, and you're struggling because you feel like Israel where you've been in the darkest spot of your life. You've been far from God. And he says, come. Come. I've died for you. I've lived for you. I've been resurrected for you. Come. Return to me. Let's pray.